All right, so I want to start off this morning by telling you all of the reasons why churches should continue uh, to use cassette tapes, okay? Uh, by the way, this was the technology the year I was born, and so this is where I think we should stay, okay? All right, uh, first off, cassette tapes are cheap, okay? You can buy a lot of them for very little money. Uh, secondly, you can physically hand one to somebody, unlike what kids these days are doing where you just send stuff in the digital world. Who knows where that exists, right? With a tape, you have a physical thing you can hand to somebody. Yes. Also, uh, churches already own the equipment to make these and distribute them. We've already got everything. We don't have to get anything new. It's already there. It exists. Next, okay, there is no learning curve on this, right? I don't know how to do a lot of the stuff Titus talks about, but I know how to use cassette tapes, okay? Uh, from the time I was four years old, I remember the little cassette player that I had that I would listen to every night as I was going to bed, and I knew how to use it from the age of four years old. No learning curve on cassette tapes, okay? Also, I want you to think of how many people over the years have benefited greatly from cassette tapes. So, cassette tapes have a track record of success, right? I don't know about a lot of the stuff that Titus is using these days, but I know cassette tapes work for people, right? All the boomers are amening me. All right, we're good. <laughs> Bottom line, cassette tapes are easy. We should really lean more heavily into the use of cassette tapes. Now, is anything on this screen incorrect? Okay. So why should we not use cassette tapes anymore? Uh, because that's not where lost people are, right? The world has moved on from cassette tapes, and we have to also. By the way, just so you know, I am stealing this illustration from a podcast that I listened to, and Alan brought it up, and I thought, that's a good point. I'm going to use that. And, but here's the thing. When churches fail to adapt our methods, it's like having the world's greatest message, but distributing it on cassette tapes. We have to decide as the church whether to invest our energy in communicating the gospel or in convincing people that cassette tapes are still a good medium. I don't know about you, I am a whole lot more interested in arguing for the gospel than I am in arguing for cassette tapes. Make sense? All right. Um, we are in the middle of a sermon series. We're actually at the very end of a sermon series on our five core values of the Gwinnett Church of Christ. Uh, the leadership team all has gathered together. We've gotten input from our deacons and the wives and lots of other people as we try to think about who we are, where are we going, what are we about as a church, what makes us a church that you might drive past ten other churches to come to. Okay, so we've come up with these five core values for who we are as we think about going into the future. Um, and here they are. If you have been with us the last few weeks, you've heard these already. Uh, number one is celebrate grace. Okay, if we could be known for one thing at GCC, we would want it to be this. We are a church that will take you in no matter what your baggage is, recognizing that everybody brings baggage with them into the church. Okay, we are a place that has no expectation on you being perfect. Uh, either, well, I mean, there's only two or three of us in here that are perfect, right? And that's, that's the exception, not the rule. Tim, I wasn't talking about you. Don't worry about it. Okay. All right. Uh, no, we are a church that, that 
firmly and strongly believes in grace. Number next, uh, we are committed to growth. Uh, and this happens on a couple of different levels. In the first place, we are committed to each of us as individuals growing. We want to be involved in spiritual disciplines like daily Bible readings and prayers and, and practicing things on our own that draw us closer to God. Also, as a church, we have missions and ministries both locally and around the world that are committed to getting the gospel of Jesus Christ into as many people's hearts as possible, right? We as a church are committed to growth. Number next, uh, we believe it is important that we build authentic relationships. If we are going to be the church like we read about in the New Testament, we recognize that does not happen in one hour a week on Sunday mornings, right? Uh, so here at GCC, we have lots of opportunities with our Bible classes, with ladies' night out programs, um, with our Wednesday night gatherings, with small groups, with lots of other opportunities that we have in order to do this, to build authentic relationships, because there will come a time in your life where you need to lean on your brothers and sisters, and if you haven't done the work beforehand, you won't have that support that you need when you get there, right? All right, number next. This was last week's sermon. Uh, we believe strongly that we are a church that will protect our unity. We enjoy a peace here that is hard to find even at other churches. Okay? Uh, we've got lots of diversity in this room in every conceivable way, whether it's um, you know, theological diversity, uh, diversity of where you grew up, diversity of what kind of church background you have, ethnic diversity, age diversity, as Titus is bringing out this morning. Okay, and we believe strongly um, that we can bring all of that together and be unified because the gospel of Jesus Christ that unifies us is so much more important than the things that divide us. Okay? So, so long as we can be united on one Lord, one faith, one baptism, we can disagree with each other about a whole host of stuff, but still be unified and proclaim Jesus as Lord. All right? Number last, uh, and this week, we are talking about adapting our methods. And to be honest, uh, this is one of our more aspirational values. Okay, we do this, and we want to continue to get better at it. Okay, the gospel never changes, but how we do ministry will continue to change as the culture and the world around us continues to change, Right? Uh, the world around us doesn't look the same as it did when I was a kid in the 1980s when cassette tapes were king. Uh, but tragically, many of our churches routinely get stuck being 30 years out of date, right? We don't want to do that here. Uh, at GCC, we are committed to the gospel. We are not committed to the way we've always done it. That makes sense? All right. Uh, to get into that, I know that in the bulletin it says Ephesians because we've been in Ephesians for so long. But this is actually 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, starting in verse 19. Okay, Paul writes, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I'm not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share 
in its blessings. All right, three quick points from this text. We could spend a whole sermon on each one of these. Uh, so we're going to go through them quickly because there's some other stuff we've got to get on the table too. Uh, but number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. And that is that Paul embraced a sacrificial attitude. Okay, notice the first image he uses in this text. He says, I've made myself a slave to everybody. That is powerful imagery. Nobody in the ancient world, nobody in the modern world for that matter, would ever willingly go and make themselves a slave. But Paul says that is the role that he has taken on himself. Again, part of what we talked about this morning in class is that fundamentally at the heart of Christianity is an attitude of humility and love and sacrifice and what that means is I have to care more about you than I care about me, right? Okay, if we aren't being selfless, then we're not following a crucified Savior. Okay, I guarantee you that Paul never argued with the church that he was a part of how to make himself more comfortable and happy, right? That wasn't his agenda. What did he do? No, he took a sacrificial attitude. All right, uh, many of you are parents. How many of you are parents or going to be? All right, here we go. All right, um, I'm the dad of my household. There is a lot of stuff that I could do in order to make my household center around me and what I want and keeping me happy and me comfortable. If I wanted to, I could ensure that the television that I paid for never showed some of those kids' programs that we all find so annoying, Right? If I have to hear the introduction to Blippi one more time, I might throw that TV away, right? Okay. Uh, I guarantee you that if everything in my household was about me and making me comfortable and happy, I would not have spent half of last Saturday at a birthday party for all of Sam's friends where they were bouncing around on trampolines all day, right? But is my role as being a parent in my house to make me as happy and comfortable as possible? No. Why not? Because I am more invested in my children's success than I am in my own success on the days that I'm doing it right. Right? Okay. Similarly, just like parenting requires a sacrificial attitude, so does Christianity. You think about our mission statement, a loving family, uh, living for God, and serving our neighbors. Okay, what this means is everything we do requires sacrifice, right? I sacrifice my comfort and my desires so that I can love you. I sacrifice my desires, my comfort, so that I can love God. And also the third part of that is I sacrifice so that I can love them. Okay? Paul embraced a sacrificial attitude so that he could love them. We have to do that also. So uh, before we can talk about adapting our methods... The first question we have to ask ourselves is, do we even have an attitude that wants to? Do we have a sacrificial attitude? Are we humble enough to be willing to sacrifice for the sake of others? Fair enough? All right, number next. Uh, Paul adapted his methods. Okay, and he's got a, uh, Paul never takes one sentence to do what he could do in a paragraph. Okay, but he says he became all things to all people so that by all possible means, he might save some. So, uh, when Paul met a Jew, how did he talk to him? Like a Jew. When he met a Gentile, how did he talk to him? Like a Gentile. Okay, did Paul change the gospel when he was talking to these different people? No. But what did he do? He changed his method of delivery to best meet his audience's needs. Okay, and I guarantee you that the church he established in Corinth looked different from the one he established in Ephesus because they were in different contexts. 
Okay, Paul was a master at adapting his methods. Okay, uh, I think back to when I was a kid. One of the things that my parents used to do to punish me is they would take away my Nintendo, right? Um, if they wanted to low-key punish me, you know, they could just ban me from playing video games for a certain number of hours, and that was a good way to motivate me to change my behavior. Okay, whenever it came to my little sister, the way that they motivated her was they took away her telephone privileges, okay? Uh, you're in trouble, so you can't talk to any of your friends on the telephone. Now, my parents never tried taking away my telephone privileges. Why? Because I didn't care, not because I didn't have any friends. That's not where I was going. <laughs> Stop it. Honestly, though, you could take away my telephone privileges now and I wouldn't fight with you too hard, right? <laughs> my parents knew how to motivate us differently. Why? Because we were different kids. They were giving us the same message that we needed to grow up in certain ways, but they motivated us very differently because we were different people. Okay, you cannot reach people that are different in different contexts without using different methods. So, if question one is, do we have a sacrificial attitude? Question two is, how adaptable are we as the church? In other words, the church should look different in 2019 than it did back in 2000. We also know things will look different here in 2030 as we continue to transition and change. I was thinking, by the year 2030, I might be willing to admit that I'm not 29. Although I still plan on looking good, so we'll see how it goes. I'll let you know. All right. In Germany, in 1439, there was a goldsmith by the name of Johannes Gutenberg, and he invented something we call the printing press. All right. Prior to 1439, the way that churches primarily communicated with people was through the use of stained glass windows. Okay. Most people couldn't read. And so the way you communicated the gospel to people was they would come to cathedrals and look at the story of Jesus in pictures. After 1439, everything changed. Suddenly, people could have Bibles of their own. Suddenly, literacy rates shot up across the world. Suddenly, churches changed from communicating primarily through stained glass windows to communicating through printed materials. It is the greatest communications revolution that has ever happened in the history of the world up until my lifetime. A parallel shift in how we communicate that is just as big as the printing press is happening right now as we change from printed materials to digital materials. How different did churches look pre-1439 to post-1439? How many of our churches today, though, look a whole lot more like 1980 than they do like 2019? Okay? If we're not willing to adapt to the way the world around us is rapidly changing, we might as well go back to putting stained glass windows up and trying it that way. Right? Did the gospel change at uh, at, 1439? Nope. But the world did. Okay? Has the gospel changed in 2019? Not at all. But the world has. So where are we going to be as a church? All right. Number three. Paul focused on the mission. He says very clearly, I do all of this for the sake of the gospel. Okay, in spite of all the craziness in his life, Paul knew how to keep the main thing the main thing. 
Okay, in spite of all the other important things going on, Paul focused on the mission. Uh, there was a, a time in our lives where our son was in the hospital struggling to stay alive. Uh, and in that period of our lives, it's the only time in my adult life I've ever um, overdrawn my checking account. Okay? And I overdrew my checking account because I had a paycheck that I just forgot to take to the bank. Why did I forget to take to the bank? Because I was focused on something that was even more important than depositing checks. Now, am I saying that depositing checks is unimportant? No. Am I saying there was something, though, in my life that was even more important? Right? When we keep the main thing the main thing, a lot of important stuff doesn't get the same kind of attention. Okay? But I think our temptation is often to take a lot of things that are really important, and we have those as our focus, and we allow that to distract us from the main thing. Okay? But we as the church, what is our main thing? All right. I want to point you to the scripture reading that David Ellis so eloquently read for us earlier. And I love the fact that we had our shortest scripture reader do the Zacchaeus reading. Right? That's, I could not have planned that. That was perfect. Okay? And at the very last line of that, Jesus tells us why he came to this world. Okay? Luke 19 and 10 says, The Son of Man came, why? To seek and save the lost. Okay, if we are going to have success as a church, we have to be focused on the mission. Okay, question number one is, do we have a sacrificial attitude? Uh, question two is, how adaptable are we? And question three then is, where's our focus? Okay, we have the most important mission that the world has ever seen. Okay, we are called to be salt and light to a world that is obsessed with darkness. We have the bread of life, and we are on a mission to take that to a hungry world. Okay, are we going to be about the mission of Jesus? And yet, it's hard for us to do this. Okay, just as people, with our natural inclinations, it is hard for us to stay on mission. Okay, it is so much easier over time for churches to become much more complacent than missional, right? Uh, over time, it is easy for churches to care more about keeping saved people comfortable than we care about reaching out to lost people. Okay, and there's a lot of reasons for this. Um, when a church changes something and people don't like it, lost people don't call us up and tell us about it. Okay? Uh, lost people don't send angry emails to the elders saying, hey, I don't like that change. Okay, I've never had a lost person corner me in the foyer somewhere and say, hey, I don't like the direction your church is going, right? It's saved people that do those kinds of things. And so it's easy as church leaders to focus on keeping saved people comfortable much more than it is for us to focus on trying to reach out and seek and save the lost. But if we can keep the main thing the main thing, right, uh, then we can do something. That make sense? Does that work? Uh, and so, again, all of your angry emails go to Randy from here on. Um, the rest of us all voted and decided that's where they need to go this week. So that'll work. All right. With our last GCC value, we are trying to capture all of these, these points. And the way that we're choosing to say this is that we as a church are a church that adapts our methods. Okay, the mission is too important for us to take the easy path of just chasing our own comforts. We want to be more like Jesus. We want to be like Paul. Uh, they willingly went into uncomfortable environments because God so loved the world. All right. 
Uh, a few quick pieces of this that we need to get out on the table. Okay, number A is that we are firmly committed to the unchanging and eternal Word of God. Uh, you know, I remember being five years old and sitting in Bible class. My teacher was a, an old lady named Miss Alma, and she had this big, massive Bible that I was in awe of because it's the biggest book I'd ever seen in my life, and she would read to us from the Bible. And I remember thinking, there is a weight to that that is different than anything else in life. Okay? I grew up in an environment where my parents read the Bible to me regularly, uh, and I was taught from my very earliest days that this is the Word of God and it directs your life. Right? I want my kids to grow up with that, right? That reverence for Scripture, that belief that God's Word is our guide. Now, I wish this point could go without saying, but we definitely need to say it. Okay? Adapting our methods does not mean that we compromise our faith. Okay? Jesus is Lord. His authority is eternal. Our God doesn't change. There is one I am, uh, and it's not you or me, Right? Now, part of why this is something that needs to be said is because we all know that churches face the temptation to hold back on the more offensive parts of Scripture for fear that it will hurt our standing in the culture. And that's not who we want to be. Uh, that's not what we're talking about here at GCC with adapting our methods. Okay, there are plenty of times where we can and should call out our culture. Okay, our culture has a warped view of a lot of stuff. You look at the way our culture treats money and sex and power and truth. All of that is warped, and we need to regularly proclaim a better way. Okay, earlier, even in this letter to the Corinthians, Paul talks about how the message of the cross is foolishness to people of the world. Okay, I'm not talking about changing the gospel to better fit our culture. Okay, here's my, my big point on this. Right, adapting our methods doesn't mean that we soften the offensiveness of a crucified Savior or the out-of-touchness of a biblical worldview ethic. Okay. I know I just made up the word out-of-touchness, uh, but I I'm, I'm a doctor now, so I can make up words. That's what that means. Right? We're going to go with it. No, we recognize and embrace that the gospel is not the easiest thing to believe. Okay, worship styles will change, clothing styles change, uh, translations of the Bible will even change, but the Bible itself doesn't change. Okay, all right. Number B is we respect our traditions, but we will not be bound by them. Okay, um, so the biggest reason that we put this up here and the biggest reason that we talked about this specific point as the leadership team is the thing that we want to avoid more than anything else is legalism. Where did Jesus give his harshest criticism? It was to the Pharisees. It was to the teachers of the law. It was a people who were so concerned with what everybody else was doing, with being completely right about everything, that they couldn't see grace. They couldn't see what the message of Jesus was really all about. Okay, they were so focused on keeping up their traditions and keeping things the way that they had always done them um, that they never could see what the kingdom of God was really about. We don't want to be that. We don't want to be Pharisees. Uh, we don't want to be a people who are more concerned with what everybody else is doing than we are with what we're supposed to be doing, okay? Um, so, we are part of the tradition of Churches of Christ, and we think that that's great, and we're proud of that, and we celebrate that. We've got lots of sister congregations all over the world, okay? But I am a whole lot more concerned with what we're doing here than I am with what anybody else is doing in the other church, 
And just because it worked really good in my grandma's church or in my parents' church back in Oklahoma doesn't mean anything about what works here in Lawrenceville, in Gwinnett County with these people right here. Right? That work? Okay. Number C. That is that we, if we are truly focused on mission, will diligently work to create a culturally relevant environment. All right, now, I got a good quote on this one that I, I, I like from an article that we were reading. This is from a guy named Gary McIntosh. He says this. He says, Jesus told us to be fishers of men. Churches that isolate themselves from the culture do not fish. Okay, in other words, that's one of the temptations churches face. We say, well, we'll just let the world do what they'll do, and then we'll just stay here in our bunker. Okay, those that seek to dominate the culture fish with dynamite. Okay? Churches that incarnate themselves to the culture fish with the proper bait and tackle. Incarnation happens when a church adapts itself in appropriate ways to its culture so that it receives a hearing for the gospel. Okay, in other words, if the world around us is constantly changing, okay, which it is, and if our culture is different than first century Corinth or modern day China or even different than a community that's an hour's drive away from here, okay, then the methods of ministry we employ must continually adapt in order to remain culturally relevant. That work? Okay. Two real quick sub-points on this. I'm losing count of how many points I had this morning, but it's all good. Uh, two quick sub-points on this, and then we'll be done. Okay, number one, everything we do communicates something. Okay, everything that we do communicate something. And some of the difficulty is what we often communicate may be different than what we intend to communicate. So what matters tends to be a whole lot more what lost people see and what they understand rather than what we intended to communicate to the culture around us. Okay, here's an example of that. If it was all up to me, uh, if all that mattered was my thoughts and my preferences and what I wanted, uh, we would dress up more at church, okay? Suits and ties, dresses, the whole nine yards, things would be more formal if it was all up to me. And what I would intend to communicate with that is reverence and respect. What would the culture see, though, if a person off the street walked in and everyone was dressed in full suits and ties and much more lofty attire? Okay? What they would see is this is a church that's stuffy, this is a church that looks like my grandma's church. This is a church that's out of date. The culture has largely moved on from suits and ties. So even though my preference would be suits and ties, and lowering the temperature just a little bit to make that more comfortable for me, right? <laughs> even though that would be my preference, it doesn't communicate what I would want for it to, to communicate. That makes sense? Everything we do here at church communicates something. The aesthetics of the room whether we greet people at the front door or not, the lighting, okay, the songs that we sing, everything that we do communicates something, and we need to not look at it through the lens of us who have grown up in church all of our lives. We need to look at it through the lens of lost people coming to Jesus for the very first time. Our website, our bulletin, everything communicates something, and we need to pay attention to what that communicates. All right. Uh, if people come into a church and most of the songs that we sing were before 1960, that communicates something to people. 
You know, I was talking to Titus the other day about some of our new songs, saying, hey, wasn't that a good new song? And he pointed out to me, he goes, you know what? That song is from the 1990s, the early 1990s, before I was born. <laughs> and I'm thinking, the 90s weren't that long ago. And he's like, really? Okay. Now, he keeps telling me I need to pick a lane and decide whether I'm an old guy or a young guy. And I keep saying I want to move him. Never mind. All right. Anyway, what he was saying was a very good point. He was saying if someone his age walks into a church and we're singing what we consider to be new songs and they're all from the 90s, we are showing to that person that we're 30 years out of date. We need to think about what we are communicating, even with the songs that we sing. And that's part of why we're having conversations right now with all of our worship leaders about leaning more and more into newer songs. Because even if it might be some of our preference to sing some of the older stuff, okay, what we do communicates, Right? Now, again, we're not kicking out all the old hymns, okay? But we need to think about what we're doing and, and what we're communicating with what we do. All right. Uh, so, final point. This means we are in the business of breaking down barriers. Okay? I don't ever want our methods or our preferences to create barriers for people encountering the gospel. Okay, a lot of things we could say as examples for this, I think probably the easiest thing uh, is using a modern translation of Scripture, right? Uh, can you be a part of God's kingdom using a King James Version translated 400 years ago? Absolutely, no doubt. Okay, but unless you studied Shakespearean English in college, uh, that translation is a barrier to your understanding. Okay, so even if I liked it better, which I don't, by the way, because it's terrible. All right. But even if I liked it better, I would still use an NIV because it removes unnecessary barriers for people. Right? If videos can help us reach lost people, we will use them. If having a big community fair works, let's do it. Okay? If it quits drawing a crowd, then let's kill it. Okay? One of the hardest things in church is to kill stuff that we started. Right? Uh, because suddenly we created it and then we, we can't get rid of it because that's what we do. Right? Uh, so long as stuff works, let's keep doing it. But if it doesn't work, let's kill it and do something else. We need to be adaptable because the mission is so important. Okay, VBS worked pretty well last year, but we're not committed to VBS. We're committed to teaching kids about Jesus, right? We've got to keep our eyes on the mission, not the methods. Okay, bottom line, uh, we want to be culturally relevant, and we want to adapt our methods because that's exactly what we see in the New Testament. Okay, so do we have a sacrificial attitude? Do I love them more than I love me? Uh, are we adaptable? And are we focused on our mission? All right. Uh, at this time in our service, we are going to sing a few verses of an invitation song. During the singing of this song, I will be down front. One of our shepherds will be down front. This is a time in our worship service where we, as the church, want to be here for you. And if we can talk with you or pray with you about anything that is going on in your life, we would love that opportunity. And before we sing that song, though, I would love to close us with a word of blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and give you peace. Let's stand.